Uh, it's a great journey. It's the journey of a lifetime. I'd say it's the journey of lifetimes because it, 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 it is the purpose for why we are born, to know who we are and to be established in that and then uh, to act from there. It's not devoid of the world. It's not devoid of your career. It's not devoid of your relations, of your friends and your family. It is uh, all of it. And uh, I think that's important to remember in our practice because we tend to think uninvolved means you don't do anything, you don't interact and you don't be with anybody and you don't uh, take care of your body and your mind and your relations and your work and your money and uh, all the things that keep you healthy. That's all part of the practice and that's the practice of sadhana. Welcome to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, and these are my conversations with sadhaks, satsangis, and other spiritual seekers. Join us as we discuss and discover what it means to live a spiritual life and walk the yogi's path. Each week, you'll gain insights into your own practice as we share the stories and wisdom of those that walk the path with us. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. Oh my goodness, are we in for a treat today? My guest today is none other than my dear friend and one of my teachers, Stephen Atkin, or Shivnat as I know him. Shiv is an accomplished biologist, an artist, and an author of environmental nonfiction books for young readers and those who have remained young at heart. His work is represented by the Rights Factory Literary Agency in Toronto, and his books, stories, and poems have been published in Canada, China, India, East Africa, Lebanon, Turkey, UK, and the US. He is Editorial Director of Biodiversity, an international peer-reviewed science journal in the UK. He is also the Executive Secretary of Biodiversity Conservancy International, a Canadian-based charity that supports on-the-ground conservation restoration projects, environmental education workshops, and biodiversity research. Shiv is also a meditation teacher and instructor in the art of yoga science at the International Meditation Institute in the Himalayas of India, where he lives, teaches, and creates. Wow, such an impressive list of accomplishments, but I must also add that amongst all that, he is also one of the most inspiring, most brilliant, and most devoted sadhaks that I know and admire. So I am so honored to have his wisdom and energy here on this humble little project. So without further ado, Shiv, welcome to the show. Wow, that was quite an introduction. It's just <laughs> fabulous to uh, hear your voice and to know that uh, we are still connected in this space of awareness. Just delightful to be uh, on the show with you and to share whatever I can with your listeners. Uh, I think it's fabulous what you're doing here and I'm just delighted to participate. Yes, I'm so excited because I know whatever we transpires today, we'll have great satsang. And that's always the space when I'm with you and when I see you, we always just end up, the conversation goes towards satsang. And that's something I just love so much about you. So um, obviously, you know, you re- re- heard the bio. 
you've uh, you've reached great success in your life and i've always been inspired by your ability to devote so much to your sadhana while achieving so much in the world it's so inspiring and the material success on the outside really looks like something to aspire to but what i really aspire to is the confidence and faith that you've put into your spiritual life which is why you're the perfect guest for the curious yogi <laughs> So I'm hoping you can start by speaking about your path of self-discovery and where it has led you. Sure. Th thanks. Thanks, Bobby. And, um, you know, uh, when I first uh, started on this journey, I was, I was still in college. But um, I just want to tell a little story before I tell my journey. It's a story from the uh, Hindu scriptures. I think it's from Yogashisht. Um and it's the story of the son of a barren woman. Some of your listeners may know this story. Uh, the son of the barren woman, uh, he, uh, he's a, a warrior and he goes into battle and he's a powerful um, soldier and he has great success. And he gets, uh, eventually he gets appointed to be the, the king of the kingdom and he defends that kingdom against so many other kingdoms. He... Uh, he sires many young uh, uh, princes and princesses, and uh, the the kingdom gets overrun eventually by by warriors from other states, and the king gets killed and he dies. And that story is to illustrate: this is the son of the barren woman. This is the son that never was, and yet the story is there. And I think in our sadhana we reach we reach the point of uh, understanding that, that the story we have uh, is really an imaginative story, it's a illusory story, and in the end, where do we end up if we don't know uh, the self that has been at the source of it all? So, I was always very inquisitive um, as, a, as a youngster, and uh, more so in my latter years, um, some dissatisfaction with uh, what I was taught and known. My dad was a was a research scientist, so I ended up in science um, in in college. Uh, I went to biology, I think, because of perhaps an innate sense of wanting to know what life was about. I was very young in college; I was only sixteen when I went, and I I went into biology hoping that uh, I would get a better understanding of life, but. After four years, or three years really, uh, I was disillusioned because I felt that they were studying the form more than the actual life itself, that it was much harder to grasp than the traditional tools of science would let you do. So I took a year off, I went to Europe on my own, I met a fellow who was a meditator, we traveled together through the Mediterranean and North Africa. Uh, I came back to Canada after to go into my final year of college, and I knew that I needed to find out something from meditation. So I took a transcendental meditation. I was practicing that for a while. It was giving me some answers, but I felt like there was something more under there that I really couldn't uh, put my finger on or my practice wasn't adequate to unfold. Uh, and then I switched, after, after I finished my biology degree, went into architecture school at the school, uh, architecture school at Carleton University in Ottawa. And when I was in there, um, my psych prof 
had just come back from India, and uh, I was doing my uh, psych paper on meditation at the time, and uh, he liked that, uh, and he introduced me to some literature from my teacher in India, uh, who, when I read the, the, his chapter, it's called, it's called The Science of Raj Yoga, which speaks about um, all the different paths of yoga, but in there he directly addressed me as the reader, and he said, and this was a concern for me because I, I was worried about who I was, where, where was I in this body and mind, and in that chapter he says, it's a chapter called uh, On Oneness, if you are the trees and the rocks and the flowers and the trees and the sky and the clouds, then why would you worry? And that sounded to me like something I had never, ever heard before, and it resonated with the sense in me that I wasn't looking for something that was outside of me, but that was both inside and outside both, that sense of oneness. And I knew this teacher had it, so eventually I went to India after my first year and uh, met that teacher. And uh, he's a realized being. And when you meet a realized being, your life changes because you realize that somebody can live with his feet on earth looking like a human being, but is something else completely. And it gives you the inspiration to know that that transformation of the human life can take place. Uh, and it's a work and it's a practice. So I sat with him uh, and studied that. And uh, meditation is a big part of the practice, um, which I picked up earlier on. But also, and I think this is the sort of theme for us today, is that self-examination. And not self with a small s, but self who is at the back of the action, who is at the back of the the meditation itself, who's at the back of the yoga practice that is knowing and watching and at the same time always uninvolved and is able to see when uh, that's lost, when that uh, gets involved in the action and forgets the balance of the self. Uh, that is the study that uh, I engaged in at that point and it was uh, it's a great journey. It's the journey of a lifetime. I'd say it's the journey of lifetimes because it, 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 it is the purpose for why we are born, to know who we are and to be established in that and then uh, to act from there. It's not devoid of the world. It's not devoid of your career. It's not devoid of your relations, of your friends and your family. It is uh, all of it. And uh, I think that's important to remember in our practice because we tend to think uninvolved means you don't do anything, you don't interact and you don't be with anybody and you don't uh, take care of your body and your mind and your relations and your work and your money and uh, all the things that keep you healthy. That's all part of the practice and that's the practice of sadhana. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to see like you know, this was 40 years ago that you read Raj Yoga. And actually, I just opened that book on Guru Purnima. And I read oh. the chapter, Why You Don't Worry. And how timeless that wisdom and that knowledge is. And I love how you said that um, it's the work of many lifetimes. Because it does, when you hear it, it's like you've been hearing it forever. Mm -hmm. Because it's the mm -hmm. truth of your own self. And... 
I'm wondering if you could speak a bit to how it's been, how your journey has been in the sense of being in the in the world and being in this deeply spiritual life, which you've really dedicated your life to that, and how you've managed all these years to harmonize that. Yeah, and my teacher was a, a great inspiration that way because he knew I was an artist by nature. You know, my I, I love to. That's how I got really into my work. Was that uh, the art that I studied when I was younger? I used to take private art classes, and the science kind of merged together. So then I became a biological illustrator with other scientists for quite a while. I used to do contract work with the federal government in, in Ottawa, museum displays and publications for Agriculture Canada and natural resources and forestry, uh, putting out books with them and doing illustration work. And the reason it worked for me at the time was because it allowed me to, to be able to very often be at home in my studio, but even if I was at work, to, to be able to take a little bit of time on my microscope or in my drawing board and close my eyes because I was just sitting most of the time. And in, in that, what unfolded was a certain stability uh, or some, as we know from the word samadhi, that, that evenness of the whole system and the mind. And, and then I think, you know, from there, I think we can't think too far ahead when we're sort of planning how to integrate our life of uh, a sadhana, our, our spiritual life, with how it's going to work in the world. Because we really don't know how that's going to happen. But if you're established in, as you said so beautifully, you know, that, that one in you that knows, that hears the resonance of the words of truth when they're spoken by somebody or you read them, if we're tuned into that self of our own and we can sit closer to the company of that self, then we make the choices based on that, on that freedom and that unfoldment that are more in harmony with that rather than trying to go out towards making something happen, becoming uneasy, becoming agitated, and losing that thread, then making wrong choices, then having to undo all of that. So I think if you can, I know it worked for me, is be attentive to what works in harmony with me, uh, my own higher self, and then act from there. And honestly, it all just comes, it all just comes by itself. Never, ever could plan, have planned the way it unfolded for me, but a very natural transition uh, from that to be an independent uh, writer and author and illustrator to finding agents who, you know, had a space that they recognized you and would give you that freedom uh, to be able to work when, when uh, the world changed digitally, to be able to work wherever you wanted to be and have that creative freedom wasn't always like that. Uh, but that just kind of unfolded as it unfolded and the choices were made from the awareness of the self. And I think that's something that anybody doing sadhana um, can take uh, can can take inspiration from that it will happen for you. You just pay attention and you take the the first thing that works and then you move forward and make better choices as you go along. It's all coming from there. Mm -hmm. And and then I'm thinking of one who is on the path of sadhana or at least interested or curious. And how can one 
begin to recognize or understand who is that true self when we are living in the world of name and form, name and form, you know, coming from you as like the biology background where, like you said, it was all name and form on that level and one seeks something deeper, deeper truth, but how does one get to that? Yeah, I, I think the meditation practice is really key uh, that you're able to drop all the name and form, you know, on a regular basis in the morning and in the evening. And it's like the inner shower um, that allows you to see that you haven't gone anywhere. You're still there watching and knowing. So all that can be added on to you. And, and you don't then expect um, from other people that they should have the same awareness that you have. So they're living a certain life of name and form, which is fine, and you're able to associate with that. But at the end of the day, you're able to leave it and know that the truth of yourself is still there. So I think meditation is key. And of course, all the practice of yoga and um, uh, everything that goes along with meditation to allow yourself to sit easily, the pranayams and the mudras and all that is fantastic because it allows you to sit easily in your meditation and drop the body and mind for a while and see the blessedness of your higher self, which is always there. Then you're invigorated to go back out there the next morning, uh, get up from your seat and uh, be inspired to do whatever needs to be done because it's coming to you and you're just addressing it as it comes along. So that, that was always my approach. And of course, then the company that you have at other times too. If you can be with those friends or those inspiring people like yourself uh, that always you know, lift the attention to the highest and you're able to share that with them, then that's a great delight. That adds a richness to your practice. Although it's a personal work, it doesn't have to be a solo work. There are others who appreciate the work too. And in their company, then you can, you can practice together and you can share your understandings and you can learn a ton from other people because everybody's mind is made differently. So when you speak, you express, they express their understanding of what you said. You see where, you're under, when you, where your expression is incomplete or confused. And that, that allows a delight to enter into the sadhana too. So it's not a dry, insular kind of process that you're engaged in all the time. Mm -hmm. I love how you said that it's not a per or it's a personal work, but not a solo work, because I think sometimes there can be this idea of one that goes to India to like, you know, it's got, you got to live in the yogi cave as a, um, as a sannyasi and just give everything yeah. up. But actually there's space in every situation in every corner of the world to do sadhana because we don't have to be alone we can find that community and i know i know that your teacher our teacher was instrumental for you in taking you to the next step in your spiritual path like you said you were practicing tm and you were curious and you were meditating and meeting the realized being is, was kind of the you know the jump up or Absolutely. i don't know how you would describe it <laughs> but you know not everybody has that blessing in in this life yes. and it's something i've thought about so many times so how lucky 
to have a teacher and but not everybody that's not on their path I guess but the one who doesn't have that teacher I guess then it's even more important to have the good company around you absolutely and I think you know there are those who those who have practiced become teachers for all of us you know because you you take on the qualities of that realization through through your practice and and then you see the difference between your preference like I was that guy who wanted to go to India and sit in the cave and be the yogi. My teacher, <laughs> my teacher said, you know, he was more drawing me out into, you know, a fullness of of my understand of my understanding because I didn't I had that tendency. But it was when I looked at it, it was my preference of my mind, and what was coming to me was, this isn't freedom. You know, this may be circumstantial freedom, but it's not real freedom. And real freedom is whatever situation you're in, you're able to know who you are. And that takes work. That takes, you know, that takes a, a more um, doubt. You're going to doubt the situations you're in and whether you have the power, you know, to stand up to that, to whether you're, you're adequate in your teaching ability, whether you're adequate in your practicing ability. Can I really be a yogi? I follow. I fall again and again into the same sanskar, the same groove. You know, I thought I was free from that, and here it comes again. All that self-doubt, you know, is in the field of the mind, and, and and the practice is to observe that that that's the way it functions, and it functions differently in everybody. But there is a very deep awareness that's able to see that and not be affected by it. And that's what we're uh, latching on to. It's actually the original state. It's like all of this is happening as a superimposition on that fabric, on that canvas, if we can use an art metaphor. It's the painting, you know, it's solidified by the zinc or the gesso on the canvas that sort of ties it together. But in fact, the canvas has never gone anywhere. And you can paint any picture you want, or like the son of the barren woman. You can put all of that on the canvas. And it's very easy to forget the canvas and be involved in the picture and the colors and the scenes. And it's all imaginative. And in the same way in our world, all our creations are all on the field of mind and body. But that canvas of awareness, that hasn't gone anywhere. And that's the practices to be established in that and if you can share it uh, with other people then you get reflection on you thought you were pretty free but when you get caught again you realize you weren't that just means more work that just means okay that's a gift rather than assuming your higher awareness and still not being free you're uninvolved maybe but you're not free mm -hmm. yeah like at the beginning when you express that you are dissatisfied even as a young person and then now we think, because what is the dissatisfaction? It's the preference of the mind that makes us dissatisfied. And how rare is the person that actually questions that dissatisfaction of the mind and says, no, I want to be free from the mind, not free from the preferences of the mm. mind, which are only going to perpetuate that, that believing that everything that's happening in that field is real. No, that's a very good point because... I think, you know, it's not always recognized how rare 
it is to want to be free from that dissatisfaction. A lot of times, I think with a lot of people, that that sort of tiny hole in the pearl that, that can, can be the mala of, of your meditation, it gets closed because, uh, because it, it, it gets covered by the actions and the ambitions and, and the world is not supporting it. So I think it's, uh, it, it gives more credence to the fact that you need the company to recognize the importance of, of that fundamental. It may be look like uneasiness, but it's divine uneasiness. It's the uneasiness of the self to know itself, of the fulfilled being who is you, to really live that in this lifetime. And uh, to be able to do that, um, you have to recognize the the freedom voice in yourself and not allow it to be covered. And it's a very rare soul. And in the practice, we call that a jigyasu. He's the one that has that sense of wanting more understanding or more knowledge, wants to examine and see where that freedom lies, where that fulfillment lies in it. And, and it's, if you're not aware that it's rare, then you might think you're weird and you're odd and you stand <laughs> out and you're all by yourself in the whole universe, but it's not true. You are one of a very high-level consciousness beings uh, who have undertaken to be fulfilled in this lifetime. And that, that's a great gift. And it's the gift of the self to the self to know itself. And this is the time we're going to do it in this, in this lifetime. While we have healthy bodies and means to do it, we are very, very, very fortunate. And I think that thankfulness comes out of the practice where you see how special, as you said, this opportunity is uh, for us to know ourselves fully. Yeah, it definitely speaks to where the attention is in the world because when I think of even my own sadhana or just observing it in other friends and sadhaks around me that it is such a big work, it is a life's work, it's a huge work to be able or to have the desire to sit and contemplate that but from the external for one that isn't questioning in that way, it's kind of like what are you doing? You're just sitting there with your eyes closed or you're sitting there listening or you're reading these ancient scriptures or singing this language you don't know, like the Sanskrit or whatever. But actually, it's it just shows how the world is, is not going to support that, like you yeah. said. And sometimes it feels like nothing's happening, you know. And that, again, is, is the mind who's judging it against happenings and unhappenings. But... Uh, to give credit to that, you know, to give credit to that is very important um, to want to know further and to be um, with those who can, who can also recognize that because it's a, it's a hard work. And if you look too far ahead, you know, it can be discouraging. So you need that encouragement, especially in the early stages of sadhana. I think you become more independent of it when you're established in your practice. But in the early stages, it's like a little sprout just coming out of the ground and those two little dicotyledonous leaves and they're so delicate and somebody can step on it and, and you know, it has to go. <laughs> so you really got to put a little bit of a, a little cage around it. Let it just, you know, let it, let it take its time to get a little more established and get a solid trunk and get those roots. You can't see the roots, but they're there going deep, deep into the ground to make to make your practice secure. 
And it's good to honor the delicacy of, of, of the practice and at the same time to recognize not to look too far ahead, to just go for the next leaf, you know, let's get this next leaf out there and, and get some more nutrition out of the out of the ground of our practice and, and make it strong. Stronger than it was yesterday is today. And tomorrow is stronger than it was today. And not to look, you know, ten years ahead or not to look at the size of the task or the mountain that you're climbing, because that is the functioning of the mind. Uh, what really helps for me and what my uh, teacher gave to me was to tell me and to show me that this is who you are now. This is who you are, that divine being. What has been forgotten is that. So the forgetfulness just is washed away through the practice. So then it's not like trying to get to a new state, like I'm going from human being to, you know, alien, you know, something I can't even put words on, but rather it's just removing the forgetfulness of that. And every time we meditate, every time we practice, every time we have satsang, that covering gets more transparent, gets lighter, the veil gets lighter, and we're able to see that truth of ourselves through that covering more and more. And then it's attainable when you realize, wow, this is who I am. Like, that's where I sit. Now, let me address when I forget that. And that's why we meditate, and that's why we keep the company of those who recognize that original state of freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you're speaking of the little sprout, I feel like, I'm, I mean, I've been on this spiritual path for, I guess, my whole existence, but really stepping into it in the last eight or nine years, but it still feels so fresh and I feel so sensitive sometimes. And I know I have gotten stuck, maybe not looking so far ahead, but in the idea of a right and a wrong way for sadhana. And, and that I'm wondering if you could speak to any areas that you and your path would get stuck in maybe in your younger days or even now as a, I would say a, an advanced yogi <laughs> <You're very laughs> you, <kind>. know, <laughs> if, you know is there any areas for you that you could speak to that you would get stuck or oh absolutely repeating work I think self-doubt follows you as long as you know as long as you become identified with your mind and and each one of us has our own uh, sanskar sanskars are the impressions um, through activities that we did where we forgot who we were which means almost all of our activities till we found out the purpose uh, was to know ourselves that all those impressions all those actions based on me a body and a mind are what created my sanskars for me, it's uh, that's that cave yogi thing still comes up again and again. You know, maybe I'm too involved. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this podcast. Maybe I shouldn't be writing this next book. You know, that comes again and again. Uh, but I'm pretty confident that the voice, first of all, that it, it'll change by itself and it'll become obvious because that's sort of the way it's unfolded for me through my life is um, it be. The choices never really had to be made because they became so obvious that where my previous way of thinking was just not working anymore. So then I could drop it. And, um, you know, I think as you age also, 
uh, the things that you did when you're younger no longer serve you? You know, the music that you played, you know, may change. Uh, the company that you keep uh, starts to change. You you relish those who have higher consciousness and you want to be with them more and more. Uh, your idea of socializing, you know, we we are a group who do sadhana uh, and and in in that that can be a social happening too because you know we have friends we have people we like and love and share but when when does that become too much when does that draw from your own practice that uh, you know that that interaction with other people and helping them and and being involved in their uh, birthdays and and their and their death days and all the things that go on in our in our field of relationship. How much to be involved with your aging mother as she gets sick? How much you can help her? Um, what you can do best? You know, uh, all of that becomes fodder to see um, that I should act from this center of knowing. And it's not just knowing for me; it's knowing for for. A, the whole which I am, and acting in a way that supports that and uh, creates that around me too. I'm wondering if now we can talk a little bit more about your understanding or expression of the true knowledge that's based in knowingness, and if you can speak to that a bit. Sure, sure, yeah, I'd love to. I think the tendency is to think that knowingness is only uh, in meditation when uh, thoughts are not there. And that's certainly something we come across again and again in the practice of meditation. And when we're teaching meditation is that people feel uh, the thoughts are a problem in meditation. And they're not a problem because the the mind will keep thinking. Um, The problem is identifying with the mind as me. And forgetting that I'm always the sakshi or witness self of the mind. That same process can be extended when the eyes are open too. Because nothing can be known without that knowingness, as you just said, that knower being there. It is more difficult because all the senses are engaged in the process, right? I'm seeing it, I'm hearing it, I'm tasting it, I'm smelling it. It's real. And that's what that does. That's what the waking state is. It's trying to show me that this is real. But none of it can be known without that knower and that knowingness. And once we start to become established in the awareness of that and the nature of that, which is that it's uninvolved in that which it's knowing, then the practice can extend to 24 hours a day. There's no distinction between your meditation practice and your action because that knowingness is where your attention is all the time. So that's the challenge. Now there's where sanskar comes in too, right? That's where, oh yeah, this one, this situation always catches me. You know, this person that I love uh, that wants to do something that maybe is not suiting me right now, that can catch me because I, I care for that person. But who do I care for in that person but that same being in myself? So uh, I think once we move into the, the waking state where we see things as separate, then the sun scares arise and our challenge is to be with that knowingness, to be with that knower at that time too. Yeah, I mean, just hearing you express that, I thought, wow, how many 
days and hours and years you spent sitting in front of your teacher and I wonder how many times you heard a devotee or a questioner ask the question, how do I remain in the state of meditation when my eyes are open, when I'm faced with my attachments, my responsibilities, my problems, my mind? And I know I've asked the question as well. And all those times you've heard the answer, what, you know, how does one do that? Yeah. And I think also because when we touch that space, like we know that space where we feel one with everything, we feel blessed. And most of us, you know, came to this because we had that innate sense or maybe even experience that you had oneness when you were younger. And the, the big question is, why can't I maintain it? You know, why can't I stay there? And that is the motivation for sadhana. That is, that is what the practice is for. You can describe how, but the, 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 the way through it, the way to, um, to know it, is just to go back to that original state that I said earlier. It's not to reach somewhere else. It's to recognize that that's who you are now. And that's the practice. The practice is not starting from a human being to get to a realized being. The practice is for the human being to recognize that he's never been a human being the way he thought he was. He's always been that original being, that self-being, that canvas that all of this has been put on top of. And you've got your uniqueness to express that original being through your mind, the way it's built, through your hands, through your talents, through your skills, through your teaching to your students in your own unique way. So it can be done. And, and the main thing is to be there where you are already are as that canvas realization, fullness being, even if you don't feel it, but to recognize that, that very thought that, oh yes, this is who I am. If that can be bridged, you know, to accept that uh, which is always there as me, that self is always there as me, and identify with that self as me, then everything will um, unfold as it's supposed to unfold. And it's a natural question. We have to have that question. As soon as the mind yeah, arises, and, it has that question. <laughs> yeah, and how to remain with that um, conviction and that knowingness even when I'm in a state of unease even when I'm in a situation or a circumstance that like we said before is against the preference of my mind like I guess it happens slowly like time after yeah. time remembering oh self is still ever present ever eternal shining self even though my mind and my preferences are being challenged right now it must it get easier over time. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, and I also think uh, developing a nice relationship with your mind, like your mind is a friend. It's it's not your enemy. Like if your friend falls and 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 goes down into some uh, you know depression state or is having a hard time, as a friend, we try to encourage them. We try to support them. Why can't we do that to our own minds when they when they start to make us feel miserable and they say, "Oh shit, you you sadhana's not going well. You're not really a yogi. What the hell are you doing? You know, what, what you've you've lost everything. You can't remember anything right now." But that's your friend who's forgotten. And if we can cultivate uh, a sense of friendliness towards that mind and just 
Give him a hug. Bring him in. Say, oh, it's okay. I know it's going to change. Don't worry about it. <laughs> then I think uh, that really helps in our practice because we often think of the mind and the thoughts and the desires and the ambitions and the rog, the attachment, and the dwesh, the hatreds or the aversions as, as an enemy to us, and they're not. They're just that friend who's forgotten the self and needs to be reminded by you. Mm-hmm. I love when I heard, and once I started, you know, on my own sadhana, like when I, I would kind of get to a point where I would almost forget myself and the remembrance of whatever is changing is unreal and whatever is unchanging is the real. And in those moments when the mind is like so fixated, it's like, it's going to change. Like it's just in that field of illusion and, and waves. So just remain established in the unchanging is like, just to yeah, have that it. information to have yes. one little mantra like that to remind yes. the self of the self is such a gift. Absolutely. And I think that's the gift of, of realization really is, is to, is to complete that circle. The circle is completed when you know you've always been that. Then, then you're, then you're in the in the state of sadhana. You're in the practice of sadhana when you realize that this is who I am. Of course, it has to unfold. I just have to brush this stuff away, and that gives you the patience to realize, okay, this is arising now. I never expected to get COVID, or I never expected, you know, to break my leg, or I never expected that person to hate me. But it will change. And knowing that that entire field will change, but there's this who I am, the unchanging field, then we're able to wait it out. We're able to watch the wheel keep uh, moving along and not be involved in it and certainly not be crushed by the wheel as it runs through us. Yeah, and it's also interesting, though, because, you know, like we said before, it is so rare the person that knows the true I because usually we get stuck on the changing of, oh, I am this Bobby, I'm the host of this podcast, I'm here at my family's, me and my, it gets, it's, it's so, it's, it's so external, and it's not, it's not so common to look towards the unchanging I. Yes, yes, and, and that's, that's the specialness that you have, and to recognize and give dignity to that uh, voice in yourself, is, is the same process of making your mind friendly to you. And and you're brilliant because you create that company around you. You're doing it with this podcast. You do it with your teaching. And, and that way you get the inspiration of those who have that uh, sense in themselves too that may not really know what it is or are still examining it, are, are, are unfolding it, and are, are connecting with you to help their practice. Why can't we help each other? Why does it have to be just that individual journey when it's all one being anyway? Who, who are we as separate bodies and minds? We are separate bodies and minds drawn on that canvas that is the self, that is me. So I think as that stability in that unchanging being as me unfolds, then automatically what arises is the sense of compassion and caring for other people and also for your own mind and body's vagaries because that's the nature of how it's made. And uh, that compassion is the outcome of the practice. And if we see it in any way in our 
and cherish it in our daily lives, then I think we nurture it that way. You know, it, it, it can grow, it can become uh, full. Yeah, I love how he's saying of the outcome of, of the practice and that brings me to a next question which you kind of touched on before about the sadhana being the remembrance of the unchanging but can you speak more to what is sadhana really like what is it to walk the path of sadhana i think it's it's a very simple process it's to put this first the awareness of myself unchanging to put that in the forefront it's very it looks like a minor shift because you may be doing exactly the same thing. You may be, you know, living your family life and raising your children or, or doing your teaching or doing your career, whether you be a doctor or a lawyer or an artist or a writer or a musician, you're still doing all that. And it may not even be seen <clears throat> from outside that anything's changed in you, but you've made the priority uh, in your in your daily life that you will connect with that unchanging being in yourself. So that means starting the day, if possible, the moment you come out of deep sleep, before you even get into the waking state, is remembering this unchanging knower, this is who I am. Now my dream's going to start. My dream of, oh, I got this interview this morning, I better get my butt out of bed and start moving, or, you know, I have to create this today. I have to have a deadline on this book today. All of that comes after. And if we can establish ourselves in that in-between state, in that sort of um, non-formed waking state, that's meditation. And if we can sit then in the morning, once you're, you know, you're not sleepy anymore, but you're, you're, you're putting your day in perspective to that one who is always there, to that self, and just being right there with it. And then... Then you can see the dream as it arises. Then you can see the waking state as it arises and gets layered on top of you. And then at the end of the day, I mean, if you can do it in between, even even better. You know, if you can take a break before the wheel spins too fast in the middle of the day, even if it's 15 minutes, you know, just sit with your eyes closed on a park bench or or in your office or or in your, uh, you know, study room, whatever, wherever you can find a little space to just recalibrate that which wants to go outward and make it real back to you, the source of it. And then again at night, wash it all off in your meditation. Even if it feels like you're not washing it off, that it's all still there and it's still spinning, you are washing it off by just disconnecting with it and not giving it any more power not giving it any more strength, not feeding the motor that keeps it all going by recognize you're the fuel. It all comes out of you. And when you put that as a priority in your day and you connect with it again and again uh, through the day, especially morning and evening, then the days unfold into a fuller and fuller awareness of that unchanging being who is you, who never went anywhere. And then you can look at your life like the son of a barren woman. Like, what, what was that? I mean, who is that guy, you know, that was back then? You may see him on video and not even recognize him. The body's changed, the mind's changed, the relations have changed, the interests have changed, everything. And still we call that me. That can't be the body. That can't be that, that, that particular mind and body because it's completely changed. 
but what we're recognizing as me is that unchanging being who is here right now and has not gone anywhere. So that, that to me is the most important aspect of sadhana. And so it can take many forms. I know you were just expressing about um, what is sadhana and why is it important. And if, I, if I'm thinking of someone who perhaps is just new to meditation and yeah. maybe doesn't, doesn't even understand or have the language or the expression, what other practices yeah. or areas can one turn to begin to inquire with the sense yes, of support yes. or, or know what I'm inquiring towards. Yes, yes. I think it's to recognize, like we're talking, right? And I see you, I know you as a space being. I know that you very easily, um, you're a blissful being. You, you're a blessed being. You love people because of that. You you very easily, I can see it in your, you, you are easily leaving towards that state, which is you. Now the world will say, okay, she's spacing out. He's in classroom. He's got ADD. He's like, he's not paying attention. But in fact, it's that blissful being who wants to know itself and is, is blissful in itself and is not um, able to or wanting to stay with the mind and the words at that time. So I think if you honor that, you know, if you're able to recognize it first and honor it, that's not a weakness. That is your own um, samadhi being. That's the, when, the, when the chit has become some, has become even, then that giving that priority and giving that uh, credence and giving that uh, the recognition that it deserves, um, that, becomes, that becomes the practice. And we can take a minute if you want and just sit in that uh, just for one, uh, one minute. And our, our listeners can also do the same. What do you think? Oh, I think that's a brilliant idea, Shirley. <laughs> I love that. I can repeat the mantra that I have, that I love, and that uh, basically speaks to that. Uh, and also, when you hear the sound of that, leads you to that space. And uh, the attention is on the flow between the words. And the words are Amaram Ham Madhuram Ham, Amaram Ham Madhuram Ham. And as you repeat them, if you pay attention to the the Amaram Ham Madhuram Ham, 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 Amaram Ham Madhuram Ham. Amaram ham, madiram ham, amaram ham, madiram ham, amaram ham, madiram ham, amaram ham. And then just take it inside, keep hearing it, but just inside your own headspace, even if the sound's not being heard by the ears, your attention can be on that flow on that rhythm of Amram Ham, Madhuram Ham, the mind will settle, take the quality of that mantra, which is that underlying canvas of yourself, which is always, which is motionless, which is changeless, and that's who you are, Amram Ham.
And the quality of that is it's blessed and blissful and feels natural and feels whole and full and delightful without any need for anything to be added onto it. That's Amaramham, Madhiramham, Amaramham, Madhiramham. Then just slowly come back to, you can hear the mantra again as you come out. Always very, very important to just take a few minutes as you're coming out of meditation to allow yourself to become settled in your body, to have the thoughts arise, to open our eyes, to look around, and not to jump from the meditation into activity right away. And just let your prawn or your energy um, very naturally come from that settled state where you're not identified with it as you uh, into conscious action. And that makes the transition very simple and easy and gentle. I love a spontaneous dip. It really is like a, a just a dip into sweetness, and um, I I love that. So thank you. You're very welcome. I think it's a really important part of what we do, especially for those who recognize it. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to take the action. Like we can speak about meditation, we can speak about sadhana, we can speak about self. But actually how valuable it is to take the personal effort with earnestness, with love, with devotion to that space. And, and I think that should be definitely highlighted that yeah, we need to I, take the action. And I think we can be brave in that. You know, when, we, when we're feeling something, you know, we often think, you know, it's just my trip. But it, it actually is received by those who are aware as being something broader than just my idea. Like it's actually the space doing that at that time, leaving the formed consciousness. And we get supported by the encouragement of when we do it at the right time and share it, that others have that same feeling. 
So the company is, is encouraging and, and inspiring that way when you realize that that inner voice that I had, that wasn't my mind. That was my awareness. And so that goes to supporting that awareness and seeing the difference between when awareness becomes the preference of the mind and when it's actually perception of the space that I am. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a perfect point for us to wind up. So as I've been asking all my previous uh, yogis and guests, um, if you could leave any our listeners with any last words of wisdom in their own practice. What would you say? Sure. I, I would say that you are that. You have never left yourself unchanging being. It's what brought you to this podcast. It's what brought you to the practice of sadhana because that voice of who you are will never, ever stop until you are completely one with it and knowing that it is unchanging me. When I is identified with self, self-examination is over and knowledge alone remains. I am pure, I am free, and I am forever. Beautiful. And is there anything that you're working on next that you want to share or just any where you're, you're headed next in your, in your own journey? Um, I'm still writing books. You know, I have some new books coming out. Uh, um, I've sort of tried to infuse my um, study of environment and nature, my concern for the planet, for all life on the planet, uh, into my books. I have a book coming out next month, in September actually, on how we're uh, imposing our human activities in in the field of sound into the natural environment and uh, how we have to be aware that you know other life has their own way of communicating with each other and we shouldn't assume since we're dominant on the planet that uh, everybody wants uh, that we're interrupting some of the evolutionary means of communication both on land and in water with our own um, anthropophony uh, our own our own human sounds and uh, Millions of years of evolution has to adjust to our presence on the planet. So trying to bring my readers aware of the uh, invasion of sound pollution and the importance of sound. And it comes out of also meditation. If you go into a forest and you sit there under a tree, just listen. Listen to a little circle around you and then expand that. And you will be amazed at what you hear and how much is going on. Uh, that we don't don't yet understand. So that's coming out soon. And then another book on saving the night. Let's save the... the we, we invented the lights on the planet 150 years ago, but what are we doing when everybody's evolved to dark nights and, and light days for billions of years? We can't just change that all of a sudden. We have to be aware of the impact on ecology and the impact on human beings themselves. Watch... Watch yourself with your device late at night. What does that do to you? What does that do to your health? You know, that's awareness of light. That's another book that's coming out. And uh, another one on bioluminescence. Fascinating stuff. When you're in the dark, dark, deep areas of the ocean or the forest and there's no light, what does life do in all its incredible uh, creativity? 
some species make their own light. They just make it out of their, their body processes. And I, I find that really inspiring because uh, it's kind of what we're doing. We're making our own light in a world of darkness to highlight the knowledge of the self. And here we are. So let's expand that uh, to everywhere and let's take care of each other and let's take care of the planet at the same time. Beautiful. Yes, here we are. And just thank you so much, Shiv, for your uh, your grace and your warmth and your wisdom i just really appreciate you and i love you so thanks for being oh, i love here. you too and just wonderful to see you darren best of luck and look forward to seeing you again soon thanks for listening to this episode of a curious yogi podcast if you enjoyed what you heard please leave a review on itunes it really really helps the show reach more people or share on social And of course, follow on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. I appreciate the love and I appreciate you. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the yogi's path together. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.